your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Geld, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Great news, you can now watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. Dietary carotenoids play an important role in protecting the eye, especially the macula. High ocular levels of specific carotenoids are associated with decreased risk of age-related macular degeneration and cataracts. Today's guest, Utah vitreal retinal surgeon and researcher, Dr. Paul Bernstein, MD, PhD. Dr. Bernstein is a world leader in the study of age-related macular degeneration, with special emphasis on the role of nutrition and environment in his treatment and prevention. At Moran's Eye Center, he also, research, he also researches treatment for blinding, inherited retinal and macular dystrophies that currently have no cure. Dr. Bernstein has authored over 200 peer-reviewed research articles and reviews, as well as over a dozen book chapters, and serves as a reviewer for numerous journals, foundations, and institutes. Dr. Bernstein, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me to join you. So Dr. Bernstein, how did you get interested in ocular nutrition? So that goes all the way back to my training when I was getting my MD PhD. I was a chemist uh, by training as an undergraduate. And when I started my work uh, as a medical student and researcher, I was looking for good, good projects in chemistry. And it turns out I was put on a project on, on vitamin A metabolism in the eye back in the 19... 1980s is when I was started working on that. And I did some of the very fundamental work on how vitamin A is processed into the active form uh, that allows for vision. So I enjoyed the project. It was very successful. And I realized that nutrition 
uh, nutrition biochemistry research work would be a great way to combine clinical practice and really make a difference for people and to do exciting science. You know, that's a great point. You know, we talk a lot about lutein, zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin, omega, omega-3s, but we don't talk that much about vitamin A. How come we don't talk that much about vitamin A? And tell us how important vitamin A is in the eye and the visual processing. So vitamin A is, is a key molecule that allows us to see. That is it, it, the active form of vitamin A, which is the 11-cis retinal, is uh, binds to a protein called opsin, and that's and rhodopsin is what receives light. It um, the reason uh, and so the fundamental biochemistry of how it's absorbed and and deposited in the eye makes vision possible for essentially almost every organism. It's a very fundamental process. Vitamin A deficiency, which causes night blindness, is a major cause of uh, vision disturbances and vision impairment especially in the developing world where nutrition is not nearly as good as it should. Here in the United States, vitamin A deficiency is pretty rare. I don't see it in my practice uh, very often unless people have had, uh, are very nutritionally compromised, maybe, maybe have had gastric bypass surgery or have very, very unusual diets. It's very hard to make yourself vitamin A deficient here in the, in the, in the United States. And that's possibly one reason why we don't hear about it so much. But in the developing world and uh, with my colleagues that I collaborate with in Nepal and Ghana, those countries, it's a major problem. And we're really trying to develop new ways to identify um, I'm with them uh, populations at risk in a cost-effective manner by using some of the skin screening compounds, we'll talk, skin screening compound instruments we'll be talking about today for carotenoids may be useful in detecting vitamin A deficiency as well. Once we've identified it in the developing world, it's a relatively easy and cost-effective process if you can get the if you can get the supplements to the patient to the people there. There are different forms of vitamin A. Uh, can you talk about the different forms and are they all, you know, we say vitamin A but it's really different forms of it. It, it, are one is one form more important than the other, or are they all about equal? Well, they're they're different. That's a good. It's a very good question. Vitamin A is as a retinoid or retinol is the one that we get. But to get, we don't generally consume a lot of preformed retinol in our diet unless you eat liver, uh, fortified milk. But most of our retinol actually comes from, is made from beta carotene and similar carotenoids, the, the carotenes, which are cleaved by an enzyme and then make the form the, the actual form of vitamin A. Now, that is, that is actually a very good process because the beta carotene that we get from lots of fruits and vegetables is, is very non-toxic and very safe. While vitamin A itself can be toxic to many, uh, to the brain and other and liver and other parts of the body, and so there is a regulation, uh, a re an enzyme that is regulated and provides a steady level of vitamin A so that we don't become toxic. So most forms of vitamin A, when you take them in supplements, are actually the beta carotene. It's listed as that, and the beta carotene is a much safer and regulated way to be consuming it. 
Now, vitamin A has, other than the eye, there's other functions of, of vitamin A. If you could talk a little bit about some of those as well. So vitamin A is important for reproduction. Uh, it's also important in regulating uh, many other processes. Development of many organs are, are very, is very dependent on vitamin A. There's a lot of vitamin A signaling going out uh, between cells and regulate, re regulating how they, grow, how they grow and develop. Is there any antiviral properties to viral A? The um, that, there could be some with that. I think it's, uh, we, we know just generally vitamin A status is very important. If someone is vitamin A deficient, they can become immunosuppressed. There, it's in, in the, the developing world, uh, vitamin A deficiency is associated with uh, lots of morbidity and mortality. So it's essential to have at least normal levels, but we don't want to have too high levels either. Now, is there an optimal level uh, or are most Americans have just enough, but they're not optimal or is just enough enough? That's, that's well, there, uh, there is, uh, vitamin A is an essential nutrient and there are levels that we, that we are, that we ingest. And so a typical level is in the range of five to 10,000 international units, which you would see on, on a supplement. High levels are 15,000 that can cause and higher, and those can cause toxicity if, if too much is given of the preformed vitamin A. But generally in the United States, as I said, vitamin A deficiency is not a major problem here, but it is in many other parts of the world. So let's go back to you know ocular nutrition. I know that you're so interested in it. Tell us why ocular nutrition has become important and why it is important. Okay, well, so ocular nutrition, uh, the the compounds that we that we consume that help the eyes, are are something that that patients and and doctors are very interested in, and that has to do with the fact that. Uh, vitamin uh, vision and, and vitamin A was one of the first nutritionally understood diseases. It goes back actually uh, to ancient times that people understood that night blindness could be uh, could be treated by giving either fruits and vegetables or liver. So there's always been the feeling that uh, since vision is so important and there are nutritional deficiencies that can cause problems, that people have always been interested in ways that can improve our vision. We in the eye care field and our patients know that vision is the is essentially the most important sense that people value the most and are concerned about. So through the years, we've learned, uh, in, uh, those of us in vision research have been in, among the forefront of really understanding the role of nutrients and how they can improve vision. And there's so much more than vitamin A that we've learned. And that includes the carotenoids where we've learned that they are concentrated in the retina and can be important against preventing disease. There are other ones, you know, the vitamins, the vitamin C and vitamin E and all the other ones through the years. So I, my patients, I live in, an, in a region where patients are motivated to try to see better. They're concerned about vision loss and they want to empower themselves and somehow uh, help them help themselves and make them see, make the, preserve their vision, preserve their most important sense. You know, when we look at nutrition for the eye, 
Is it much different than nutrition for the rest of the body? Yes, it is in some ways because there are special nutrients for the eye. And so one of the reasons that I've been attracted to, to continuing to study vitamin research is there are, there are compounds like vitamin A, like lutein and zeaxanthin that are specifically targeted to the eye. They are, they, when we absorb them, when we take them in through our diet, it's a priority that they be delivered to the retina. And I think that that and, that, and along with uh, other compounds such as the omega-3 fatty acids, there is the going back even to the lower organisms all the way up through man. This process is fundamental to vision. And, and I've learned through the years that if a compound is specifically targeted to the eye, it's going to be very, very interesting to study it both from a clinical and basic science standpoint. That's a great point that you bring up when you think about the nutrients, the lutein, the zeaxanthin being transferred to the eye, transported to the eye. Does it go along the HDL molecule or the LDL molecule? Typically, most things are transported, we think through LDL, but in the eye, it may be different. Yes, it may be different. HDL because the carotenoids, uh, lutein and zeaxanthin, are carried, um, are a little more water soluble than the beta carotene that we know about in vitamin A. Some of them are carried more by the beta, by HDL pathways, and there are special receptors that bring it into the eye. And so it's important uh, through to understand the entire process. It's actually somewhat complicated to, and we're still sorting that out in our laboratory. How they're how they're brought across into the retina from the from the gut to the liver and eventually into the bloodstream into the retina. So if it is the HDL rather than the LDL or maybe a combination of both, people mm -hmm. with very low cholesterol, is that an issue of, of getting the nutrients to the eye? It could be, but at least for my um for my patients, I it has not been in clinical practice, in my clinical practice, very important. I do, I think that the general, um, the general uh, cardiac recommendations to have, you know, have that HDL can be very helpful in, in cardiac status goes well with the eyes as well. So let's talk about some of the core principles for ocular nutrition. To you, what are those core principles? So the core principles are to, again, to follow where the eye is bringing, how the eye is bringing uh, these nutrients into the eye. That's always something that's going to be very important. The other thing is to start from the basics, to start from and, and follow it logically to make sure that the compounds make sense that we're studying. So that can come from uh, good epidemiology studies, looking at how um, comparing populations with an eye disease, such as age-related macular regeneration, comparing to age match, <coughs> age match people with the same uh, that do not have a have AMD, to try to find what's different about their diets and learn, and that's how we've learned about lutein, zeaxanthin, uh, zinc, and other other nutrients that we take in, uh, and they that give us interesting associations that can then be tested by doing more rigorous biochemistry studies and by doing um, uh, by doing clinical studies and, and appropriate animal studies to really break this 
get this so that it's, that we are doing evidence-based practice. And so that means uh, making sure that we have good science behind behind things, behind what we are uh, uh, recommending to our patients. Other things uh, that are important are to make sure that it is a rational hypothesis that we're looking at and not just going from uh, uh, just this is a, a random association. So we want to find what it really makes sense if it's concentrated in the eye, if it's an anti, if we claim that it's an antioxidant, let's prove that it's an antioxidant in at least in, re in reasonable studies. So, and then it is important ultimately to drive clinical practice whenever possible, although it can be very expensive and time consuming to try to do good quality clinical studies, preferably randomized and placebo controlled if it's ethically indicated. In 2019, there was a study in Lancet and it showed that one fifth of the population of the, of the world population dies because of a poor diet, the, the sad diet or the standard American diet. Where have we gone wrong in our country, in our country anyway, with, with the standard American diet? Oh, I think that the there is you know not enough emphasis on fruits and vegetables on whole foods. There's been uh, our American diet is is very processed, is uh, you know too high in things like sugar and fat and other things that at least the bad fats. And so, I think that it's I as a a, a an ocular nutritionist, I can just see that nutrition in the United States is notoriously bad. And so the we have it's too easy to get uh, inexpensive, but inexpensive empty calories and empty nutrients here. So there is there is something to be said for trying to go back to whole natural foods, I think. You know, 63% of the American diet is processed foods and Many times I, I tell my patients, you know, they should eat from the rainbow. You know, each different color of vegetables and fruits, they're getting different nutritions. Would you think that's a pretty sound approach? Absolutely. And that's that's one of the things, especially with the eye. And that and we've been a, we in the eye care community have been the leaders in that. And so it and it just works out, you know, vision is a is a colorful sense. And it turns out that the you know, the, the, the lutein and zeaxanthin, one of the important nutrients, are intensely colored compounds that, that are important for fruits and vegetables. Now, why do fruits and vegetables don't see? Why do they see that? Well, it's protecting them against light-induced damage, just like we're protecting the eyes against light-induced damage. Many of the coloration is, is for that. And so the, and we've known through the years, the macula, which we all talk about for macular degeneration, is actually the macula lutea, the yellow spot. So there's the color right there that we know that that's, that's an important color to be looking for in our, in our nutrients. You know, when we look at what we should eat, we need to go back and look at some studies, some landmark studies that were done that really taught us a lot about nutrition. And sometimes it gets confusing which studies are food and which studies are supplements. 
Well, let's talk about one of the, the landmark ones that I always go back to is Joanna Seddon in 1994. Can you talk a little bit about that study and what we learned from it? Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, speaking of Dr. Seddon, she was one of my mentors back in 1994. I was doing my fellowship at Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, uh, just as that was coming out. And the uh, she was a pioneer in in realizing that nutrition would be very important. She was very influential on me. And but I that was in my early stages then. And the the eye disease case control study, which had been done, was one of the first studies that really tried to look very carefully using good epidemiology to to match AMD patients, age-related macular degeneration patients with appropriate controls and look at what the differences were in, uh, in various nutrients. Now, the eye disease case control study had many different parts, but initially it was, um, it was looking at both uh, at a lot of biomarkers uh, that were in, that were involved, and they looked at nutrients, and they were looking at who is developing age-related macular degeneration, who was not, and some of them were were looking at diet and seeing if fruits and vegetables were important, and whether the and whether the uh, they and there was certainly indications that high intakes of fish and high intakes of uh, of fruits and vegetables were important, but Dr. Sutton really focused, was able to focus in on lutein and zeaxanthin as being very important, both from the from the uh, nutrient levels in the bloodstream, but also in the amount coming in through the diet. And so they, she was able to find, looking specifically at lutein and zeaxanthin, and realizing that all carotenoids are not created equal. Beta-carotene was the one everyone knew about back in the 1970s and 80s. But other researchers like Bone and Landrum, and even going back to George Wald, realized that lutein and zeaxanthin were different from beta-carotene and that they may be important. And her study, the eye disease, uh, the eye disease case control study, both was able to show both that nutrient levels, looking at the number of servings and the amount and trying to correlate of how much lutein and zeaxanthin would be associated with decreased risk of age-related macular degeneration. And they found that people in the, consuming a typical American diet where we consume one to two milligrams per day of lutein and even less of zeaxanthin had, you know, had a baseline rate of age-related macular degeneration. But those who were consuming more like six milligrams per day had a much, much lower rate, almost 50% lower rate of age-related macular degeneration. So that really crystallized the fact that we needed to be looking at, at other nutrients beyond just the beta-carotene that had already been started in the age-related macular degeneration study. But she was able to show both that, blood, that servings and that um, blood levels were important. And also cataracts as well, right? Yes. Yeah, they were able to find that, that an association with decreased cataracts. And as they went through the 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 the, the, the uh, analysis, and they looked through it, they saw that people who ate high amounts of spinach had a about an eighty percent or eighty-two percent lower risk of yeah. macular degeneration. Is that correct? Yeah, it 
Um, it was lower. I'm not familiar with the exact number on this, but it, but spinach, which was particularly rich in age in carotenoids and the lutein, uh, that because just a single serving could be more than the six milligrams uh, than of the high level. But it's just we Americans don't typically consume nearly that much. MacU Health, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. The All Eyes Visual All VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. You know, I've been fascinated by uh, serum uh, carotenoids. You know, mm -hmm. the amount of carotenoids, lutein and zeaxanthin in the serum. And uh, there were a couple, Gale and Polar did a studies. And they found that if there's a high amount of uh, lutein or high amount of zeaxanthin in the serum, it decreased the risk compared to the highest to the lowest, as high as 93% with zeaxanthin. And, you know, and then there's studies that show 40%. So that makes me think this has to, this is an absorption, an absorption uh, issue. How well, it's not only what you eat, but how well you absorb. And I, I would like for you to comment on that. Sure. The, um, what we, we consume in our diet has to be absorbed in the gut. And there are processes to do that. And lutein and zeaxanthin especially are, are still, even though they are uh, slightly soluble in water, they are still more soluble in fats, in lipids. And so most studies have shown that consuming lutein and zeaxanthin from our fruits and vegetables are more bioavailable, more delivered to into the serum and presumably into tissues as well, if they're consumed with some fat. So uh, various vegetable oils would be good, those sorts of things. And so that it it, it you know its dietary um, accompaniments can be important. Also, even though many fruits and vegetables, the Carotenoids are embedded in a matrix, so they don't, they may not be as easily absorbed as we would like. They still stay bound to a lot of the plant materials and tissues. So that can be very important. And sometimes cooking them will make them more bioavailable. So when you talk about spinach, spinach, which is and kale, which are very, very extraordinarily rich in the lutein and zeaxanthin, are if you consume them raw, you will absorb it, but it may be better if they're cooked, at least to some extent, not over, not totally overcooked, but cooked and cooked with some oil may be very useful to, if you want to boost your levels in the in the in your serum. And you, some people ask, well, isn't that going to break it down? Isn't that going to destroy the carotenoids? Well, as long as the you can see the carotenoids are pretty resilient. The uh, the color of the colorful fruits and vegetables, either when even when you cook them, at least to a reasonable extent, the color is preserved. They don't totally bleach out, so they are still available, and um, and they could be still, and we can achieve very high levels that way. What do you think about juicing or using a blender? 
And that can be useful as well. That breaks down some of the matrix that, uh, that and makes them probably more digestible. So I think I, I think juicing has shown quite well in uh, that it can that it can boost the levels too. You know, I mentioned juicing to my dad, and he he brings up soup. He goes, "Well, you just put it in soup, and you you eat, and you and you have hot soup. Why does it have to be juiced?" Yeah, I think juice. I think soup would work, but I think juice <laughs> might be a little more dense and more and more nutrient rich than soup. And there was a, t a study done by Stu Richard, the, the, the last once trial where he used lutein and looked at the patients a year later. Can you comment what we learned from that? Yeah, I think that um, for studies like, like the last study and, um, and other, other uh, ones is that they basically were looking at response to diet supplements and those sorts of things as to and, and looking at the, if can we actually raise the levels of lutein in our tissue of interest? So that, and the last study was one of the, the first uh, studies that was starting to use, trying to measure the amount of macular pigment that we have in our retinas and show that it actually is getting in and that by doing interventions, uh, we can, we can raise the levels. And so his um, there are many different ways to measure macular pigment in the eye. You know, many in the uh, optometry community use what's called heterochromatic flicker photometry, which are various devices that can be used in the, in the, in the office where patients look at flickering lights and, and match blue versus green flickering lights. And from that, we can infer the amount of lutein and zeaxanthin that's getting there. And that's one reasonable way to be measuring that. I, as being an ophthalmologist, I'm very imaging based and I've gone through the years of trying to get uh, more imaging levels and things that are a little bit, that are a little easier for patients to do, but maybe a more expensive way in terms of equipment to do that. And so we use autofluorescence, Raman spectroscopy, other different ways to not only measure the amount of lutein and zeaxanthin there, but also the distribution. We know uh, we know that it's concentrated right in the fovea, but especially with supplementation, you can see spreading and uh, of the macular pigment into other, into the even larger areas of the macula, which may be helpful. Is the best way to measure it with the spectralis? That's currently, my, I would say that is my preferred way to do it using a dual wavelength spectralis. I do that on many patients every time I do it on the clinic. It takes about 90 seconds to do. And it's, uh, I find it very, very useful. But a spectralis is expensive. I, I, that could be a problem for some eye care professionals. And you guys use the RETCAM that you use with infants. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. How does that measure uh, macular pigment or, it, or, 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 or does it? It does, yes. We've used that. And the RETCAM is a, is a device, as, you, as many people may know, that's used to do pictures of the of infants. And a lot of the methods that we use routinely in adults to measure macular pigment don't, don't work on infants. They cannot do psychophysical tasks of color matching. And they and there's no natural autofluorescence in a young baby in a young child's eye. So we had to develop a new method using using the RETCAM to measure it. And the RETCAM 
normally takes color pictures, but we set it up, uh, but it also has an option to use a blue light. So we're sending just blue light into the baby's eyes and measuring the reflectance back. And so macular pigment is yellow, so it loves to absorb blue light. And we see a dark spot in that area. And we can then measure that uh, using various uh, various mathematical ways. And, and, and we have been able to prove that newborn babies have macular pigment already. So they've accumulated it in utero and brought that into the, into the retina. And that has, so it's obviously very important even early in life. They're not worried about age-related macular degeneration. Babies are, are trying to just develop the eye and it shows that lutein and zeaxanthin can be very important for probably developing the fovea itself. And the, I would say measuring with the RETCAM is not easy. You have to, the babies are not, but that's what the RETCAM was designed, uh, designed for. To, we have, but we still have to hold the baby down and shine a blue light directly into the eye. But uh, it's been a very exciting new way of, that we can uh, bring ocular nutrition into the earliest parts, of, earliest days of life. I've, you've done some studies and you found that babies get macular pigment the third trimester. Is that, is that, is that correct? Yes. So um, some of the studies we we're, we were able to show, of course, that babies are have have the macular pigment at birth, and other studies done by some of my colleagues, uh, Richard Bone and John Landrum, actually got uh, eyes that from from infants who had passed away and were able to prove that macular pigment is accumulating during the last three months of pregnancy, and it's being transferred via the placenta, and so. With that, we now um, we think that it's important to consider whether lutein and zeaxanthin should be added as part of supplements, uh, as part of, as part of prenatal supplements. And we just recently have have finished a study looking at that called the LZIP study, or the lutein and zeaxanthin in pregnancy study, and uh, we're just getting ready to publish that work right now. Anything you could tell us about it? Sure, I'd love to. So, <laughs> you tell us the results. Um, yeah. So, with we we had realized that people had been emphasizing lutein and zeaxanthin in age-related macular degeneration, and through and in adults who were worried about considered worried about their risk of age-related macular degeneration. But when we discovered how important and or how early macular pigment was accumulating. We and others were were interested whether it should be added into into prenatal vitamins, and it, uh, they had actually been added into prenatal vitamins about six eight years ago. Abbott Nutrition had started adding them in and thought that lutein and zeaxanthin might be very helpful in um, in eye development and brain development. But since they're supplements, they didn't have to do a lot of research work to really prove that it did, and it didn't catch on very well. But I thought it was very intriguing, and you know, there's lutein and zeaxanthin are such safe compounds to be giving to people, and we know that the it's prioritized to the baby through the placenta. So we asked the question, well, can we do good science and see if it really, if we can change the mother's carotenoid status? Can we make sure that the mothers aren't being depleted? 
you know, they if they're donating all of their lutein and zeaxanthin, are they making themselves carotenoid deficient? And no one had really studied that systematically. So we went through the process of getting the National Eye Institute interested in this project, and they funded it. And we uh, enrolled a total of um, about 45 pregnant women. And we did this, I'm proud to say, right during in the middle of COVID, believe it or not. We started just a few months before COVID and continued recruitment and retention. Even, you know, the mothers were very excited about all this. And half of the mothers got uh, an AREDS 2 type dose of lutein and zeaxanthin, so 10 milligrams of lutein and two milligrams of zeaxanthin, and half of them got a placebo pill. They, of course, all took their prenatal vitamins that they need to for that contain all the other vitamins that are important for their baby's health. And we were able to show, we were able to find a number of things. One is that we could definitely raise the lutein and zeaxanthin dramatically in the mothers who were taking the active compound. Their levels in the skin went up about 36%. The levels in the eye almost uh, went up similar amounts, about 50%. Serum went up about threefold in the terms of the lutein and zeaxanthin. So, and it went up by the first trimester and stayed up. The women who were on the placebo stayed steady. They didn't, we didn't see a lot of depletion in our study, but I would say because it was during COVID and we were recruiting here, our recruitment tended to be a lot of nutritionally conscious uh, University of Utah employees. So we didn't we didn't have the most nutritionally compromised st um, study, but um, but they tolerated it very well. It was very safe, and most importantly, we saw that the babies had dramatically higher levels of lutein and zeaxanthin in the blood, in their in their skin, and in their eye. It was. Although we had our numbers were small, it seemed to also go up about fifty percent. So, and isn't there some studies to show that children that have higher lutein and zeaxanthin read faster and may have better cognition, and, and certainly with older people? Yeah, there is. There's a, a lot of thought that that both for visual and brain development, the lutein and zeaxanthin could be very important. And we're excited to go back and follow up with these kids five years from now, the ones who are, and see if we can see a difference between the ones who are supplemented and those who are not. And you did some studies also to see which was actually more important, lutein or zeaxanthin. And yes. you found that zeaxanthin actually was more important if the mother took it or the infant took it to raise macular pigment. Is that correct? Um, sort of correct. I mean, the studies that we did did not involve supplementation. We were just looking at the blood levels of the mother for lutein and zeaxanthin and comparing that to the babies. And so these were unsupplemented, but we we were able to see that the mother's zeaxanthin was the most predictive of the baby's macular pigment at birth. So we think that just like zeaxanthin is being targeted to the retina itself, that zeaxanthin could be, that zeaxanthin might be a somewhat more important nutrient than lutein, but I think both are important. Now, if we go back to diet, uh, are you a fan of the Mediterranean diet, which has shown to decrease the risk of macular degeneration up to about 40% and a study of, you know, of I think, 5,000 subjects? Paleo, is it paleo? We know eggs and oranges have shown to lower macular degeneration in some studies. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I 
I have to go by you know, what we what what's been coming out from the AREDS two group. Still, I'm still part of the AREDS two group, and the Mediterranean diet has been, I think, probably has been consistently very very eye friendly and eye helpful. There's so many. Not only is it rich in fruits and vegetables, it has it has the right fats and the right amounts of fats. It has it's not a totally vegetarian diet, but it uh, I think that the the meats are in reasonable you know are are not excessive. So the Mediterranean has shown out shown itself to be very well, very good. Paleo I'm less familiar with. I don't. It's not as well studied, and but I, I think so far I would favor the Mediterranean diet. Before you were talking, before you were talking about ways of measuring macular pigment, and you said in the skin, can you talk about how you could measure it in the skin uh, using a, like uh, one of those hand scans? Yes, yeah. So, and this, uh, I, my research group is very, very is was fundamental in realizing that the skin could be very useful for measuring carotenoids. We, when I was trying to develop new ways of imaging the, the macular pigment in the eye, we had, start, we had started studying Raman spectroscopy, which is a very sophisticated uh, laser-based way of measuring carotenoids. And it works, it works very well, but it's the laser powers are high and having someone stare right into a laser is not something that we take lightly. But my, and but it's it's very specific and very and can be reasonably sensitive in measuring carotenoids, lutein, and zeaxanthin. But my technician back then realized, well, he could just stick his hand in the in the laser beam, and we could get a reading from that. And so that's a, a reason, an interesting way of assessing carotenoids that is much suddenly much more accessible to the public. And so we developed ways. To do that using a, a Raman spectrometer. And from that, eventually that was commercialized by certain nutrition supplement companies to, uh, to measure the carotenoids and not only to identify, to identify people who may be at risk for, a, for nutritional deficiencies, but also to monitor uptake from, the, from, the, um, from supplements. But nutritionists have also embraced this sort of technology realizing that the levels that we see in the skin can be very reflective of the of the um, fruits and vegetables that we consume and they could can, people with higher scores tend to be more likely to be having high levels in their skin and we took it one step further and said the skin even correlates reasonably well with what's going on in the eye so since then uh, we've tried to get uh, some of my colleagues in the physics department here, formerly in the physics department, have tried to get even lower cost, more accessible methods that use reflectance spectroscopy to measure the amount in the skin. And each of these scans takes anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds and gives you a score and that can correlate with vitamin, with fruits and vegetable consumption. And then that can be used perhaps to power to look at uh, to monitor patients or subjects during studies like we're doing like we did in the LZIP study uh, can be used in the field to identify people who may be nutritionally at risk. And we've recently been doing a study in Nepal to see if we can measure the skin carotenoids and see if we can pick up uh, patients with vitamin A deficiency in the in the field there 
And it turns out to be pretty good with about 75 to 75% 75 to sensitivity and specificity instead of, and it can be done in the field in rural areas of the developing world, rather than drawing blood, mailing that to, you know, trying to ship it to the United States and have it measured because vitamin A levels by HPLC are just not available in the developing world. So we think it's exciting technology, nutritional, the nutrition world is also very excited about this. So how can we tell if it's which specific vitamin is, is uh, deficient, uh, if it's vitamin A or is it just the carotenoids in general? And because of where you are in the world, you just assume it's vitamin A. Yeah, I think it, basically we would use it to, I could envision using this sort of thing by at least targeting patients who have say very high levels on a skin score and say, well, I think you're good. The people who are low, you might say, well, these are the ones we have to target, even if we can't get a, a true vitamin A level, but maybe they need eye exams, maybe they need, and probably they need vitamin, need to be on vitamin A supplements. If we can identify certain regions of a country that seem to be nutritionally compromised, we can do the, do the, do the studies to you know, send a few selected blood samples to confirm that there really is vitamin A deficiency. But we just can't do that on everyone. When we could, you could screen an entire school with a skin scanner within a day. You could, see, you, can skin, you could screen hundreds, if not a thousand patients in a day. I guess when you do it, I know I have it in my office and we do it, it's frightening how poor the American diet really is. How, yes. how, but you know, but it, it's really, it's really an eye-opener to patients and they realize, you know, they, people eat probably the same seven things every, every, all the time. They have like seven different things they eat. So they just keep getting, whether it's processed food or they're just getting those nutrients over and over again, and they're missing all the peripheral nutrients. Mm -hmm. Yes. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and micromycel technology. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEbroadcasting.com and sign up today. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural and it's a good product. 
every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.